James chapter number 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22 says this, But be doers, be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to, to be in this time. May this be your words clearly spoken. And may your name be honored and glorified above all else. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus talks here about being not just hearers, but doers of God's word. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of us use a mirror when we wake up in the morning? Mm, That's a dangerous question, isn't it? Because it may or may not show, we don't know. But how many of us, when we see something in the mirror that's wrong, we got a hair out of place, I've slept on my beard the wrong way, and it's all jacked up on the other side, that happens, it's a real thing. What good would it do me to look in that mirror, see something wrong, and be like, all right, and then go on and not do anything about it? Wouldn't do me much good to look in the mirror to start with, would it? Now, I promise I do. I know I look like I do, but I do look in the mirror. I promise I use it, all right? And I think we all do. We, wouldn't, we, would, we think that's crazy when we think about that. If we look in the mirror and see something, we're going to fix it. But how many times... How many times do we look into the mirror of Scripture? See something that's out of place in our relationship with our Savior and do nothing to change it. We simply walk away from church. We walk away from our Bibles and we do nothing with what God's Word says. Because in essence, that's just as crazy is looking into a mirror and doing nothing about it. The challenge, if you're taking notes this morning, the challenge is this, as we read and dig into this more. The gospel does so much more than keep us from hell. It's meant to be lived. Does it radically change how you and I approach our everyday life? Does it get into the cracks and the crevices and make a difference in how we live? It should. It should. Let's dive in to what the gospel means. It's a saving faith. We know this. We know that the gospel saves. Romans 10, 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. It is a saving faith. It is the faith that we get from reading God's word is a saving faith. When we realize that we have sinned against Christ, we ask forgiveness, we repent, and then we believe, hang on to that word for just a second, we believe that God is who he says he is, then we confess him as our Savior and our Lord, which means we follow what he does and tells us to do, then we will be saved. It's a saving faith. 
But check this out. Believe, guys, believe is not this mental ascent somehow that we know that Jesus and God is there. The Bible says that the demons themselves know that God exists. They acknowledge it and they tremble. It's not just a mental ascent to understanding that Jesus is real. It's an outward change or action. If we say that we follow Christ, then our lives will change. There's no way for me to encounter the creator of the universe and something not change in my life. Period. I shouldn't have to wear a t-shirt or a name tag or a hat that says anything about Jesus on it. People should be able to tell by my relationship with Jesus where I stand. All of us. Believe is an action. It requires that we allow the word of God to pierce our hearts to the point of living out the faith that we have been given by the Holy Spirit to be saved from hell one day, yes, but we have a relationship now. So it's a saving faith. It's a living faith. It's a living faith. First Peter, jot these down. If we're, we're not going to take time to go through each one of them, but I need you to jot these down. They're very important. Okay, jot these down in the margin of your Bible and let's go just study through this this afternoon. But listen, as we, we say, you can turn there as well if you would like. First Peter chapter one, verse 13 through 16 says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the goodness, revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The hope that we have in Christ will produce action. Action, a verb, something we put into play, not just something up here. We will not be perfect. We know this. The Bible says if any thinks that he does not sin, he makes God a liar. We all have sin. We're all going to struggle. But we are called to be holy. Holy is a word that means set apart for the use and obedience to God. You know, the one that we confessed as Savior and Lord in Romans 10, 9, Lord and King doesn't give us any option to bring our opinion into it. It's Jesus, period. That's it. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He gets to decide what I do and what you do with your life if you are his child sitting in this room, period. And in fact, he gets to decide everything that happens on this earth regardless. He's God, period. We are called to be holy. I love this. To stumble in the direction of Jesus. We talked through this at Super Summer a little bit in the school that I was being a part of and got to teach in. The example that we discussed, the picture is of, I'm getting to, to see my little niece learn to walk just a little bit. She's, she's not quite there yet. She's got some good leg muscles, but she's just not quite there yet. Okay. 
But when I see Jason, or I see my dad, pick her up. And dad tried to do this a little bit yesterday. Pick her up, face her in the direction of him, and say, come on, you can do it. What is that baby going to do over and over and over again? Fall. But guess who she's facing? The dad. Or the granddad. Do you see that? She's facing the right direction. She's still going to fall. She's still going to mess up, but she's facing the father. See, that's what you and I are called to do. is to stumble in the direction of Jesus. Not to use our faith to sin and get away with it. We're to stumble in the direction of Jesus, not run in the direction of our sin. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. As we stumble and learn how to live in this faith, living faith will not only produce action, will not only produce action, but produce growth as well. Second Peter, if you turn to First Peter, Second Peter, just a couple of pages. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse three. Check this out. Look at what Peter, look at what Peter writes to us here. Second Peter chapter one. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of your sinful desire. This is here it is. You ready? For this reason, make every, every effort to supplement, to grow your faith. Add to it with knowledge and virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if, listen to this, this is God's word. I want you to make sure that we see that it's right here in front of us, okay? For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that stings just a little, but we are called to grow in our faith. Verse 3 and 4 clearly points out that his word gives us the knowledge and strength that we need to live in obedience. It gives us everything that we need to live out, to grow, to dive into God's word daily and deeper. 2 Timothy, jot this one in your margin. I'm going to read it, go through it pretty quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped from every good work. Scripture is straight out of the mouth of our king and the only response that we have to it is to obey it. Period. That's it. That's it. We must obey where the scripture speaks. We listen and obey and grow in it. So when the scripture says that we are to make disciples in Matthew 28, 
When the scripture says that we are to reach out to all people, students, children, youth, older adults, when it says that reaching all people in Mark 10, verse 13 through 16, then that means I go reach all people. Not just those who I'm comfortable with being around. That's what Jesus did. Why shouldn't I do the same? Aren't we supposed to be Christ followers? I'm to reach those. Jesus over and over again had dinner with who? Sinners. He made relationships. He had life with people who were lost. Guess what? Because if his salvation is going to come to the lost, then you and I must engage with them. No matter what that looks like. To engage. To share life. And to share God's love with the lost. To be faithful, to love, and to worship. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I don't know about you, but I need this. I need to look at these youth. I need to spend time with them. They invest in me just as much as I try to invest in them. I learn so much by listening to these guys. It would do us so good to get wrapped up so much in the love of God, to be like the church in Acts and have all things in common and be able to worship our Savior and learn together. That is what we are called to do, to study Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says to study, to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly handling God's word. We studied a little bit about that this week, about how to interpret Scripture correctly. That's big, but that's going to take growth. To pray, 1, Timothy 5, 1 Thessalonians excuse me, 5, 17. Scripture, Scripture will only impact and change the way that we live if we dig into it Daily. We got to go beyond the surface and challenge ourselves to grow as mature Christians. For example, so we go to the hospital. Most of us in here have had some kind of surgery, some kind of procedure. If we go in to have this procedure done, do we not want the doctor that's in there to be well-educated beyond what he knew when he went to college so that he could work on us? You follow what I'm saying here? I don't want somebody working on my heart that, that prepared to be a dentist. He's going to go for the wrong thing. You, you follow? Like, he's not going to be where I need him to be to work on my heart. But he had to be challenged somewhere along the way to learn more than what he originally knew so that he could be prepared to do the work that he was going to do. <laughs> Guys, we must continue to grow and from the study and preaching of God's word to move beyond sitting in our spiritual high chairs and developing into maturity into the abundant life that Jesus has called us to live. Guys, I don't know about you, but I enjoy it. Man, I have dove into this week, and I have loved every minute of it, probably more than the students. I don't know. I think they could challenge that. We've had a great time this week. 
Diving into God's word, learning what it means to study, learning what it means to pray over one another, learning what it means to hear preaching and teaching and be able to go out and pray over each other in a huddle. You saw that picture a while ago. That's real. That's what we're called to do. That only happens if we're growing in Christ and we're excited about being here. If we're growing, then we're loving and being the church and living out the the responsible life and abundant life that God has called us to live. If somebody looks at me, what do they see that I'm passionate about? I'm a crazy, wiry, little bearded thing. I understand that. And I'm not perfect. But I pray that even in my flaws, that the ones up underneath me can look and say, you know what? There's something different even about the way he handles his mistakes. That he loves Jesus and he's diving into God's word so much that he understands that there's a father that can forgive him and that he can go on with life forgiven. I pray that the passion that we are showing our young people is for Jesus and not for the worldly junk that's going to burn up one day. That's only going to happen if we're growing in Christ. We've got to be more mature. If we are on this earth and have been a Christian for any extent amount of time, we have a responsibility to those that are lost and those that are sitting in these pews that are younger than us to show them that Jesus is more important than anything else. Period. But that only happens with growth. It only happens with growth. Turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter four. Turn with me here. You should be somewhere along in there anyway. First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Verse twelve through fourteen. It says, Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. (laughs) Don't be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon you. There are those in this room that have had growing pains. I'm not one of them, seriously. I haven't grown enough in my life. I am dead serious with you. I know it's funny, okay? But I have never actually experienced pains anywhere from growing. I just ain't done enough. To hurt physically. Some of you, I mean, I've got children here that look eyeball to eyeball with me that are not even 13 yet. Okay, that's, that's a sad thing to me. But that's okay, because that's what short people are here for, is to give you tall people and it's a reason to be tall. That's the only way you know it, right? Because I'm shorter than you. So I didn't have many growing pains growing up. I'm way done now, okay? I'm not going to get any bigger, at least up. There's pains the other way, too, by the way. Um, As we grow as Christians, as you begin this growth process, there's going to be struggle. 
Jesus struggled. Look at, look at John. I'm going to turn to John and read this. You can mark this down in your Bible. John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Listen to that. Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is the reason Peter is saying, wait a minute, don't be surprised. You remember our Savior? They hated him to the point of crucifying him. Don't expect anything less if you say that you follow Christ. We will struggle and are not to be surprised as Christ suffered slander, insults, physical harm, and rejection, so will we. If you don't believe me, look at these missionary stories that you see over and over again. People walk five miles in the heat of the day, stand in a church with no power, dirt floor, and beg for more preaching and singing and study of God's word, knowing that there's people with guns on the outside ready to shoot them down as they go out. That's persecution. This is not. This is not anywhere close. And yet we are called, no matter what the persecution is, to suffer it proudly because your Savior did the same thing. And we are, man, you want to identify with somebody? Identify with that. You want to be like somebody? You want to find your real meaning? Find it in that. Because that is the only meaning that gives us any hope as Christians. I don't know about you, but I will proudly proudly be guilty of living like my Savior did. I'm guilty. Sign me up. No, it's not easy. Yes, it hurts. But he died for me. He's my creator. He didn't have to come down here and take any pity on me. He could have wiped everything out, but he didn't. John 3.16 should be as real to us as mature Christians as it is to these kids that sit on these steps every Sunday morning. Because it's the reason that you and I have hope and we need to start living like it. It's going to produce struggle. It's going to produce cost. We're going to have a cost. Now listen, look at Luke. Man, look at Luke here, chapter 14. We've read from this several times before. The students will know this. Luke chapter 14. (laughs) Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says this. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, "If I am so proud that I have such a great following. Is that what it says? Wait a minute. No. No, it says, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot bear and be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? That salvation is a free gift that you and I do nothing to get. But if you have it, salvation will radically change how you live thereafter. Do you follow that? There's the cost. 
There's the cost. Living the Christ life means that Christ will be our life and not something we pencil into a schedule. Because what happens when you pencil something in to a schedule? All those that are busy in this room, what happens when you use a pencil to write something in? What's going to happen later on during the week? You're going to erase it. When things start getting jumbled up, you're going to start moving stuff around and take out the stuff that's not that important, prioritize, and do the things that we need to do to get our jobs done. That's what we do. Our phones do it a lot for us now. The, the calendar app on our phones most of the time does that, but same difference. We can erase that. We can erase that. Jesus can't be part of that schedule that we erased. Do you see that, how dangerous that is to put him on a schedule? Guys, he should penetrate every part of our life. Well, I'll, I'll follow Jesus as long as it, you know, I, I can come to church every once in a while and even read my Sunday school lesson and serve a little bit inside the church. I'll be good. That's good. That's fine. But I don't know about during the week. I don't know about coming back any other time. I just want to do what I need to do. Listen to me. If you are a mature, growing Christian, the mark of a mature, growing Christian is not drawing a line, seeing where the sin is, and getting as close to it as you can. It's seeing it and running the opposite direction and running wide open into Jesus' arms no matter how many times you fall on the way there. Living faith. It's not dead. Scripture clearly tells us, show, your, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He's living. It's active. And if it's in us, we will be too. Active, living for Christ. Not part of our schedule, but our whole entire life. We must intentionally center our schedules around him he don't want to be a date on the calendar he wants to be the calendar he don't want to be a drawer that you pull out and simply take out something on Sunday to put on to make an appearance in church so nobody talks about you he wants to be the dresser that all the drawers fit into Jesus should be so much in our lives that people see him even in our mistakes I shouldn't have to tell you that I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have to. Jesus died for us. Can we get that in here? Can we see how Jesus lived out a life of love for his enemies? Went to their homes, ate with them, knew that they were going to knew that they were going to crucify him at the end of everything and they still, he loved them to the very end and he still does. We have no excuse to do any different. We must be willing to give up the things that are most important to us. It's what, what scripture just read, Correct? Jesus said in Luke 14, he said, now great crowds accompanied him. He didn't turn around and give them a nice speech about packing the pew on Sunday. He turned around and gave it to them straight and said, if you don't lay down everything that's important to you and follow me, you might as well just go home. 
That's what Jesus said. We want to say that, well, that's too strict. I'm telling you, Jesus just said it. He turned around to the crowd that was with him and said, if you are not willing to give up everything to make me the center of your life to the point of suffering, then you need to go home. Rich young ruler, look at that story. It's one of the saddest stories in Scripture. He came to Jesus wanting to buy. He said he wanted to do something. He felt like he's a ruler with the Pharisees, okay? And he comes in there with all the money, all the prestige, all the name, the ego, everything. Man, he has he is got it. These guys even memorized the first five books of Scripture. You tried to memorize Leviticus? Come on. Matt, I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John start looking a whole lot easier when you look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the books that they were memorizing. This guy knew it, man. He was raised up in a home. He even told Jesus a lie and said, I, I followed all these things perfectly. Do you actually think he didn't mess up? No. No, he messed up. But Jesus said, you, he didn't get on to him. Listen to what he said. He said, okay, let's just say you did that. You lack one thing. Sell all that you have and come follow me. You know what it says? Did it say that he's dropped everything and followed Jesus? It said he turned and walked away sad because he had many possessions. I am begging you, don't do that. What is your soul worth? If you're a Christian in this room, what is somebody else's soul worth? Yes, that's their personal responsibility, personal relationship with Jesus. I get that. But where are you leading them to? What is my life doing to show people that I love Jesus? Is it? You're either pushing people away or you're drawing them to it. If I blindfold you, take you on a trip, say, hey, we're about to go get something to eat, and we drive up, we got the windows down, and we roll up into Jack's, and you know that we're going to Jack's, and the first thing you smell is the overloaded garbage dumpster that was set out and not empty the night before. Are you going to really be attracted to go back to Jack's again with me and trust me to take you to get food? Probably not, unless you like garbage. That's not my prerogative. That's yours, all right? But I don't personally like it. Are we telling people that we're a Christian? Do we show up here with our Sunday best on and walk out these doors and look like the rest of the world, do we? Because if we are, we're giving a bad name to the king that died on the cross for us. You're not reflecting me. You're not reflecting this building. You're reflecting the king of you and the world. What are we doing? Are we willing to give up everything, no matter what it is? Are we willing to give up those things that are more important to us? Maybe it's our anger. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's like this, this, this Pharisee that came to Jesus. Maybe it's our power, our pride, our preferences, our hobbies, our sports, our job. Yes, even our family. You understand that? I've told my wife this over and over, and this is the way it should be, and I'm learning to grow this way. Listen to me. I love Jesus way more than I love my wife. But boy, I should do love my wife a whole lot more because Jesus is living and loving through me. Do you understand that? I can't love my wife properly without my Savior in me. 
and her the same. I don't want to be important as Christ is to her. If she says that I'm the most important thing in her life, we'd have a talk. Because I'm not supposed to be. God is. God's the one giving me hope and a relationship with him. The rest of these things are just extra. <laughs> what Matthew 6, says, you seek first me, look, I'll take care of all this other stuff. Doesn't mean we're always going to get what we want. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through struggle. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a cost, but it means that the, the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills has got you right here. And he loves you. And he loves me. There's going to be a cost. What are we willing? What are we willing to give up to follow Christ? Are we willing? Because if we are, it's going to take a lot more than just a little bit of emotion. It's going to take a lot more than just us saying the words. There's going to be action. There's going to be growth. Challenge ourselves beyond what we know now. Then do something with that. And as we do that, we're going to struggle. And we're going to realize just how deep the cost is. what Jesus said in Luke. He's like, are you ready? Let's go. Saddle up. Leave it. Let's go. Jesus loves you. That's why he's so willing to be straightforward with you and me. Jesus didn't pull any punches. So I won't either because I love you. If there was a kid out in the middle of this street just say we had a rush hour here in Brent, okay? And there's a kid out here in these streets, and I know that any second he could be hit. What is my responsibility if I see him? I am to dive after him, even if it means hurting myself in the process, to get skin up and make sure that that kid doesn't get hit in that street. Because I see it, and there's danger. In case you don't know, Satan hates anything to do with God or his people. And Satan alone is our enemy. We need not think that each other are enemies. Satan is on the prowl. And if we are not devoted to action, growth, struggle, and cost of a living faith, then it's not going to take long it's not going to take long for him to devour. Don't be that way. Let's not be that way. Is your relationship with Christ worth so much to you that you are willing to give up those things, those attitudes, those people, whoever, whatever it may be, are you willing to give up those things for your relationship with Jesus? Are you? We started off with a, with a challenge. We started off with a, with a challenge that, that comes at each one of us, very real. The gospel does so much more than simply keep us out of hell. It's meant 
to be lived? Does it radically change how you and I live, how we treat each other, how we treat the lost who we're called to go after, how we handle our business, how we handle our lives, how we prioritize worship together, together, worship together, here together as a church. Do we prioritize this above all else and believe that every word is meant to correct, rebuke, and train us up to be the people of God? And if not, the invitation is to simply do that. Let me pray for you.